Welcome into another Busting Brackets podcast. I'm your host, Brian Ralph, joined as always by Connor Hope. Today we're going to be breaking down the American, the A-10, but first, Connor, we got to talk about the AP Top 25 poll that came out on Monday, our first look at where these teams rank. Uh, starting off with Michigan State number one, but they got some unfortunate news this week that was announced with Joshua Langford being out. Uh, until at least January, Tom Izzo said, uh, with a foot injury that kept him out uh, for virtually all of last season, only played in 13 games. Um, this was something they seemed to kind of just be sitting on and not releasing until after the AP poll came out because he didn't play, obviously, in their not-so-secret scrimmage against Gonzaga. Uh, what, are your take now on the, what is your take now on the Spartans? Yeah, I mean, between losing Joshua Langford for at least – uh, the non-conference, if not longer, um, and the the injuries to Kyle Arians, the uh, the unfortunate news that Hauser was not going to uh, get become eligible this season, which I know they're appealing, but um, it doesn't look good in, in that respect. You know, I've I've dropped Michigan State a little bit in my in my rankings. I've I've dropped them behind the top two teams in the SEC in, in Kentucky and Florida. I've dropped them behind Kansas. Um, I think they're right on par with with those top three ish teams in the ACC, uh, being Duke, Louisville, and, and UNC. So you know they're going to be competitive, um, but I, I, I think that. The way they're trending right now, at least early in the season, it's going to be a bit rough. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty much going to be Cassius Winston trying to carry this team to victories, but their schedule's not conducive to, to having kind of a one-man band early on. Yeah, and I can already go ahead and tell you the story arc that's going to happen for Michigan State this year. They're going to start number one. They're going to lose a couple – high-profile non-conference games early because they're hurt. Joshua Langford, obviously, a key piece for them. And we've talked many times on this podcast this offseason about the concerns I have about them up front just with their lack of size and the depth up front. I think that's going to be a huge flaw and problem for them. And we could see them tumble down into around that 15 range in the rankings for a while. And then once everybody gets healthy, Joshua Langford comes back in January and they start playing well in a – Big 10 that's not very strong this year at all. There are plenty of opportunities for the Spartans to pick up some easy wins in conference play. Everyone's going to get back on the, oh, here come the Spartans train. They're healthy. Tom Izzo has them ready for March kind of a deal. Uh, and then they'll probably lose in the second weekend of the NCAA tournament because they don't have size. So there you go, Michigan State fans. You don't have to pay attention to the season. Yeah. I mean, they'll be ready come March, but then I think that they're – Definitely not going to be the best team over the course of the entire season. Um, yeah, I, I think the Champions Classic could be a rude awakening for them. Right. And I think the AP poll kind of, it looks like it was set up for the Champions Classic. I mean, you yeah, got one verse really two and, and three verse four. So yeah, right right away you've got you've got huge marquee matchups, which is, which is I mean, that's what the Champions Classic's all about. But it's, uh, it's, it's funny how it worked out that way. Well, in those top six in the eight people, you got Michigan State one, Kentucky two. That'll be a really fun game, like you said. So will Kansas and Duke at three and four. Then you got Louisville at five and Florida at six. And I personally didn't have any real gripe about 
those six teams being the first six, or I guess the top six in the poll. I think there's, if you're going to put a clear line uh, at some point in that, the top part of those rankings between the most elite tier and then other teams trying to get there, I think you would put those top six above everybody else. Would you agree? Yeah, no, those, those are my top six. I mean, we could talk about, I have Maryland a little bit lower and and Gonzaga lower um, and UNC right at that seven mark. I think UNC is closer to those six than probably any other team in the country. But um, yeah, I mean, those top six, I think, are clearly a step above the rest of, of the top 25. Uh, yeah, and, and I, I think you can kind of go through seven through about maybe 16 and kind of interchange some teams. Uh, I, I agree. I'm not high on Maryland or Gonzaga at all uh, at, at seven or eight there. I think both deserve to be ranked, but I'll put them much lower, maybe in that 15 to 20 range than seven or eight. UNC's got questions at nine. Villanova's got some questions at 10. Virginia has a lot of questions at 11. Texas Tech has a lot of questions at 13. A lot of those teams are there because of the coaches and, and just the natural um I guess, brand recognition that comes with that. Below them, though, you got teams like Memphis, teams like Seton Hall, uh, a lot of people really high in Oregon and Baylor, um, teams that have a lot of talent that uh, perhaps should be a little bit higher than uh, some of those other teams that seems like the AP voters are given the benefit of the doubt to. Yeah, I think the biggest one, the biggest kind of question mark for me or, or puzzling thing was the fact that they had Maryland really high at seven, mm-hmm. but then Ohio state fell down to 18, which I thought, I think I see those two teams as being closer than, than 11 spots apart, at least to start the year. And, and I know a lot of that is on Ohio state's kind of young players um, stepping up. But um, to me, I think Ohio state was probably three or four spots lower than I have them. Um, and Maryland was probably three or four spots higher. Yeah. I think there are a couple teams in that latter part, of the rankings, Ohio State included, Xavier included. Uh, you can even look at teams like Arizona and LSU included in there. That would put over some of those teams that were ranked in the top 15. Uh, there's just uh, – outside those top six, there doesn't seem to be a lot of certainty with regards to who kind of that next group of teams will eventually end up being. Yeah, and honestly, of the 25, the only two teams that I – I don't have um, and that I don't necessarily think are top 25 teams are St. Mary's at 20. Um, solid team. I just, like I've, I said in a week or two ago, they just, I don't think they have it. Auburn puzzled me and kind of yeah. angered me a little bit. The fact that Auburn was above teams like Colorado, Washington, Florida State was really puzzling to me. I, I And I know they, they went on that Final Four run last year, but they lost their three biggest pieces from that final four run. And it's just, I, they lost those, those three teams. They were a bubble team in February too. People forget before they got hot and went on that run in March and it was a great run. And I, I agree. This ranking feels just sort of a token. You made the final four. It's the back end of the top 25. So we'll put you in there, but I, I, it's hard to call teams more deserving at this point in the year. Uh, but I think Washington was more deserving, Colorado more deserving, I love the Georgetown this year. I would have put them in my top 25, um, but I understand why people wouldn't. Um, so I, I thought there were plenty of other good options to put there instead of putting some teams that lost key pieces like Auburn or even a Purdue. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I have Purdue in my top 25, but 
I, I could see why. I mean, they're like they're right on the bubble. Um, I do like the inclusion of VCU. I was worried that they might not what? have made it. Um, they are kind of. I usually in my top twenty fives put that next te- that you know borderline uh, mid major kind of right on the right on the cusp at twenty five, and and it's been New Mexico State for the past two to three years. Um, but but I mean VCU could find its way into the top twenty, top fifteen if if they they hit on all cylinders, and and we'll get into VCU later uh, in this yeah in this podcast. I, I- I really like them. I think they have a, a chance to be the best mid-major team in the entire country. And that I'm not counting the American as a mid-major conference, um, but I, I think VCU has the potential to be a really special team this year. Uh, going back to the American, I, I think the team that kind of got gypped the most with these rankings is Memphis, because I have no idea how they're only number 14 in these rankings, especially considering that those teams we talked about, like Maryland and Gonzaga, um, you can even point to Virginia, given who they lost, and UNC, who they lost, how they're behind these teams. They're the first team in over a decade to get the number one recruiting class and not be ranked in the top ten. I really like what this team can do, uh, what their potential can be. I know it's a lot of freshmen, Connor, but I, I think they can be um, a perennial top ten team throughout the course of the season. Yeah, I mean, I I have Memphis uh, at 13, so one spot up. But I put more, I put Virginia and Gonzaga both behind Memphis. Um, I kind of discounted teams that were heavily reliant on freshmen um, mm. and and put more stock in experience. With this, I mean, Kentucky, you know. It, I don't really, and you're never going to really understand how the voters vote, but I would have thought that if they had that much, that much uh, trust in Kentucky and Duke, that Memphis would have been closer, if not in the top 10. I think some of it has to do with the fact that uh, people don't trust Penny Hardaway as a coach yet. I thought he did really well with Memphis last year, particularly down the stretch the last couple months of the season. People don't trust him yet. It's a lot of freshmen coming in uh, at a a program that's traditionally been successful, but not a, a power program. I, I think they, they have a, I don't want to say a fairly easy time winning the American, but I, I do think they're clearly the best team in the American. Uh, I really like James Wiseman. What he can do, obviously, top recruit of the country, uh, going to come in and end up being likely a top five pick in the NBA draft. Precious Achua coming in as well. Uh, I have him as a lottery pick. Um and then I, I really love Boogie Ellis for this team. Is a, a four-star point guard, decommitted from Duke, ended up going to Memphis, kind of running the show. Really good defender, really fast, really good three-point shooter. Uh, the kind of guy who I think is going to really excel in Penny's up-tempo pressure defense scheme. I think people want to see it with this Memphis team before they're willing to kind of buy into some of this hype. Uh, but I'm I, I'm buying the hype. I, I think they're going to be really really good this year and potentially make a final four run. Yeah, and and I and I think that it's it's a bit of a knock on on the the pieces around James Weissman because they they released the AP released their All Americans and he was the only big man on that on that preseason All American team. I mean the rest were you you have Nora at the mm-hmm. on the wing and then three experienced guards um 
and he was the only freshman, the only big man, and then they fall well, how, apart. How much of that is just them throwing the token number one recruit in the country in uh, on the top All-American team? Because I feel like that's become something of a habit for voters. Yeah. I mean, I guess because he, he did – he was pretty close to, to Blackshear uh, on that. Blackshear was kind of sixth. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty, pretty close to him. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I like this roster – one thing about this roster, and I will, I will not fault people for this, is they could finish between, anywhere between 13 and 43, and I wouldn't be surprised. Um, <laughs> so it's just it's, it's a matter of whether all the pieces fit together at the right times, whether they can all hit their, their peak performance, um, and, and, and how well Penny Hardaway can deal with that. Uh, mm-hmm. But... I think it'd be closer to, to top 10 than it is to, to outside the top 40. But, you know, that's why games are played. It will be interesting to see, because of how much positive momentum there's been, really since Hardaway got hired, if this team hits some adversity this season, whether it be early on or whether it's in American conference play, how they respond to that. And if it's something uh, kind of like we're seeing with the Cleveland Browns now in the NFL that spirals a little bit out of control – or if they're able to kind of regroup and, and get back in the right track and kind of overcome that. That, I think, will be really interesting to see if they hit some of that. They're talented enough to where they may not hit any of that and just kind of roll. But for any young team, I think there's going to be some hiccups along the way. Those hiccups, at least in conference play, uh, could come in the form of Cincinnati or Houston. Uh, I have as my next two teams in the American, number two, number three, have Houston two, Cincinnati three. Both of them, really good teams, didn't make the top 25, but I think you can make a case for either of them, especially now with the news today, uh, recording this on a Tuesday, uh, that Quentin Grimes got his waiver and is going to be eligible to play for Houston this year. Yeah, I mean, I the, the moment that I just, with all the news of injuries and, and eligibility today, I, I reshuffled my top 25. I moved Houston up to that 26-27 spot, um, just outside the top 25. Um, and, and it does, I mean, it comes down to how well Quentin Grimes can play because he had moments last year with Kansas where he looked really good and he had moments where he just couldn't oh. get it together. And so if he has more of those good moments than bad moments, Houston could win the conference. Um, if, if, he, if he struggles, you know, I, I think that they could fall to third. Um, they probably won't fall to, to fourth because I think there's a clear line between the top three teams and the rest of the conference. But, sure. you know, they, they have talent. Um, and it's just it's how well it can be put together. That said, I do think that Kelvin Sampson is a top 10, 15 coach in the country. And so I'm leaning more towards them putting it together than them not. I agree. And I think the job Sanson has done there can't be talked up enough because he's done such a good job. I'm really excited to see Grimes this year. He was so frustrating for Kansas last year, especially considering how he played against Michigan State in the Champions Classic in that season opener. Was the best player on the court, and it wasn't necessarily even close. It never came never was able to replicate that level of play for more than maybe a minute or two at a time for the rest of the season. But it was the first time he'd really been playing off the ball, was playing next to Devin Dotson. And 
with the other players that Kansas had on the roster, uh, Doka Azubuke and uh, DJ Lawson in the middle, kind of taking up a lot of touches. There wasn't a lot of room for him um, to, to get the touches he was accustomed to. And I think trying to fit in a different role threw him off. It, I can buy the argument that playing a new position, he was thinking a lot more than playing, uh, which may have led to a lot of his struggles. This is going to put the ball in his hands a lot more. So I think we could see more of the better version um, of Quentin Grimes rather than the version we saw at Kansas last year. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, Houston has three players that are capable of running the point for them at, at any time, given time during the game um, in Juro, mm-hmm. Mills, and, and Grimes. And so um, I think that, you know, he's going to be, especially from, from, a, from a talent perspective, probably looked on heavily. Um, to to contribute to the offense. Um, but, you know, it, it, can he lead a top 25 team and, and put him on his back like people are thinking? I'm not confident in that, which is why I have them just outside the top 25, but, but I do agree. I think that him being there makes a big difference between Houston being – just kind of that second team, third team in the AA, in the American, and a true Sweet 16 contender. Yeah, I, I think they're kind of on the cusp of that. Cincinnati was on the cusp of that last year. Obviously, the coaching change, Mick Cronin out, John Brennan coming in from Northern Kentucky. Jaron Cumberland's back. A lot of their key pieces are back, but it, a lot of – the hype around this team, I guess, has been swallowed by the hype of Houston and the hype, particularly of Memphis. So they're kind of slotted at, at third right now. Again, a clear top three in the American. I, I do have them at three just because I still have questions about their offense. Um, but I do think Brennan will do better with them in that regard uh, than Cronin did. So I, I am interested to see what Cincinnati can do this year. I think they're a little bit of a wild card in the conference. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, it, I think obviously the Cumberland Cousins are the top two offensive pieces on that mm-hmm. team, um, and you've got Keith Williams, Trey Scott, Chris McNeil. Who are I like Chris McNeil? I think he could be their top option off the bench. Um, I don't think he's going to start just because you know he's he's a guard, and I don't think that he'll start over the Cumberlands. But um, it, it'll be interesting. I mean, do they keep? their defense at the at the same level that it was at under Cronin? Do they try and speed things up um, mm-hmm. to try and kind of free up Jaron Cumberland and Javen Cumberland a little bit more? Um, you don't know. Because I, I think that Mick Cronin played such a, I don't even want to say unique, but it's such a disciplined and, and scrappy and, and pretty unpopular style of basketball <laughs> that, yeah. um, you know, Brandon might try and switch things up might try and speed up the game for Cincinnati and um, it could pay off um, but but we'll have to wait and see how they how they actually play because I'm not necessarily convinced that they're going to be the same slow Cincinnati team that we've seen in the past I think that probably gives them a higher ceiling making that change I do think Cronin doesn't get enough credit for how consistent he was at Cincinnati now some of that consistency was negative because they could never get to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament and that is what people like myself harped on Uh, but they were always good during the regular season you could always count on them winning around 25 games like clockwork Uh, 
Brennan, I think you might see a little bit more variance with Cincinnati this year as they make some of those adjustments, but I do think their ceiling might be a little bit higher if they get everything clicking on all cylinders sooner rather than later, and I think the Cumberland Cousins are going to dictate how, how quickly, quickly that happens. So I, I, after that top three in the American, uh, Cincinnati, Houston, Memphis, I think there's probably four teams below them, uh, spots four through seven, that have legitimate NCAA tournament aspirations. How how legitimate those are varies a little bit, but I think you can look at Wichita State, you can look at South Florida, you can look at UConn, and I think you could still look at Temple a little bit uh, and say it wouldn't be a shock if any of those teams made the tournament this year. Yeah, I mean, it, it's... UConn probably has the best recruiting class, maybe Wichita State. Um, they're they're kind of, you know, right there. I'm I'm not a fan necessarily of Altry Gilbert, but I do like Christian Vital, so it's it's <laughs> give and take for UConn. Um, as a UConn fan, I think that it's trending in the right direction uh, post Kevin Ollie, but um, it, it might be a year and you know. Them getting back to the Big East is probably going to help boost, at least from a from a competitive and a recruiting standpoint, their uh, oh one hundred percent their their performance. So I think we're 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 in limbo right now as UConn fans, and um, it'll be it'll be fun to watch. But I'm not necessarily banking on an NCAA tournament appearance. Um, Temple, I like Quentin Rose. Uh, I, you know, I just don't think that. Behind him and Pierre Lewis, there's uh, there's enough. I mean, Monty Scott is a scorer, but um, doesn't really do much else. Uh, yeah. So that'll be interesting. If I were to choose between Wichita State and South Florida, which are the two teams I think have the best shot at making the NCAA tournament, I'd probably go with South Florida. Um, just because I think that they have what you need to kind of push through and get into the tournament, mm-hmm. which is solid guard play. A, uh, a strong forward, rebounding forward with experience under his belt, and then a bunch of solid rotational pieces. Um, they don't have any mm-hmm. great rotational pieces, but South Florida has a bunch of solid rota- rotational pieces. I think Brian Gregory has done a, a good job of taking this South Florida team, which kind of muddled at the bottom of the American for, for a relatively long time. Um, but they're, yeah. uh, they are, they're probably that fifth team for me. Um, I just don't know what to make of Wichita State, which is why I have them kind of sixth. Uh, they have talent, but. <laughs> yeah, I, I look at it this way with that group. I think South Florida and Wichita State are going to be the most reliable because they returned pretty much, ev- both of them returned pretty much everybody from their rotations last year. I think UConn and Temple have the talent to make the tournament, and they have pieces that look like a tournament team, but we've just seen way too much variance from them and the consistency to be able to say that it's going to, the season is going to be a disappointment if they don't make the NCAA tournament. And going back to South Florida, I agree. Greg, Brian Gregory has done an outstanding job there. He's turned them into a real, uh, at least last year, uh, one of the better defensive teams in the country that ranked in the top 40 in adjusted defensive efficiency. Weren't great offensively, which is what ultimately kept them out of the NCAA tournament kind of, fell apart down the stretch after a 17 and six start. But again, you bring all those guys back, you bring your leading scores back, the Quincy Rideau, uh, David Collins, some really good players in that mix. I think we could see them kind of sneak in. 
I, I, I think Wichita State sneaks in as well, probably, uh, just because uh, Greg Marshall doesn't necessarily have two uh, bad down years back-to-back. Last year was a rebuilding year for this year. They were really, really young. Uh, I expect them to kind of get back into that top five mix, and I could see uh, those five making the tournament with UConn or Temple potentially joining that party if they maybe win the conference tournament or show me something on conference play. But right now I'm looking at those five teams, those top three, along with South Florida and Wichita State to make the tournament this year. Yeah. Um, And, I mean, outside of those seven, I think the only other team in the the American that I'm interested in watching, purely from a – from a how is a coaching hire going to make a difference perspective is Tulane. Um, mm-hmm. I liked the hire of Ron Hunter. Um, that was one of the weird ones. It, it was, was kind of it was kind of amazing to see him leave Georgia State the way he did for a job like Tulane. Yeah, no, definitely, and and so i i wanna I wanna see how they play yeah. because you know he. Obviously, no one's going to take this Tulane job unless they think that they can bring Tulane to the top of the conference because it's just one of those jobs that it's not it's not like a Kyle Smith going to Washington State where you're clearly making a jump to a a more lucrative program, a better program in a better conference. Even if you don't bring them to the top, you're still going to be competitive, probably in the middle of the Pac-12. Tulane just doesn't have the same Pac or same like high major qualities that other bottom tier programs at high majors have so uh it'll be interesting to see I, i'm i'm excited um obviously they have a ton of transfers <laughs> so um mm-hmm. it's it's kind of a piecemeal roster so i'm not expecting a ton but uh i mean he can't do worse than dunleavy so it, it, it's true <laughs> I, I, th- I think for tulane this was i think as good of a hire as they could have possibly made the fact that if someone like Ron Hunter was available, who was and, and should have been in the mix for a lot more, I don't want to say high major jobs, but higher profile jobs than this, uh, to be able to land him and kind of lock him in for a long-term deal, which doesn't necessarily mean anything, but to have a commitment from him, I think is huge. And it, it's going to take some time for them to build because Don Levy kind of left the cupboard really, really bare at Tulane. But I do think it's going to be interesting to see if he can get a little bit of momentum going in that program. But yeah, so you mentioned you mentioned a lot of teams in the in the American that can uh, make the the NCAA tournament, um, and I think that's I think that's where I'm finding issues with with kind of piecemealing together what could potentially be the at large bids because right. I made a comment last week where someone had posted what's one hot take that you truly think is going to happen. And I said the WCC and the Mountain West both get one bid, and that's it, unless Utah Mm -hmm. State or Gonzaga lose in the tournament. And for me, it's because of this point. I mean, you don't have a ton of spots, and there's no clear top tier in pretty much any conference. Um, So you're going to have a lot of these high majors or borderline high majors, like the the American, the A-10, um, who have a lot of depth at the top and um, can get a lot of a lot of more bids than they necessarily would have in the past, um, which unfortunately takes away bids from from some of those those second tier 
conferences like the WCC, mm -hmm. the Mountain West, Conference USA. Um, and so it's going to be interesting to see because, I mean, it's really easy for us to say there are four or five teams in the American that are going to make the NCAA tournament, but every conference outside of the high majors is like that. You know, they're there. Yeah. I, I will say, though, we, we've gone through a lot of the conferences at this point in our, our podcast preview series. The Pac-12 is the only one who I think we've looked at and said they're going to fill more spots than they have the past couple years. Yeah. I think we like the strength of the top half of the Pac-12. But like you mentioned, Mountain West and the West Coast Conference, probably one bid league, maybe the West Coast Conference is two um, with St. Mary's, but those aren't filling the number of bids they normally do. Down years in terms of depth for the ACC, down years in terms of depth for the Big Ten. Uh, Big 12 can probably fill six or seven, their normal allotment. Normal year for depth in the SEC, they may not replicate the success from the past couple seasons, but still a lot of bids. But there are a number of bids that are going to be available this year from conferences like the ACC and Big Ten that haven't been there in the past, and they, and they got to go somewhere. Yeah, And I think with Memphis's improvement, I think we can say those top three are, are pretty much locks. Cincinnati, yeah. Memphis, and uh, and Houston. Mm -hmm. And so I, I just look at the experience of Wichita State and the experience of South Florida with how good both defenses are and are projected to be, giving them an edge, one of them making the first four and one of them maybe being an 11 or 10 seed or so as an at-large bid. But I, I tend to rely on, on that experience when it comes to kind of those fringe bids for at-large teams. No, definitely. And I'm on the same page as you. I think that there's going to be a not not necessarily deeper bubble in, in terms of teams missing the tournament that might have deserved to be in. But I think that you're going to see a lot of 8, 9, 10 seeds that in years past would probably have been bubble seeds. Because I just yeah. don't think that the the clear-cut at-large bids are going to be as deep this year as they have been in the past. Yeah, and, and we talked about it at the top of the show with the, with the AP poll. There's a, a clear kind of top group, but even that top group, there's not a ton of separation between them and I think the next group. There's no um, clear definition between really elite teams and, and the rest of the group, which is going to make for a really fun NCAA tournament. But before we move on to the A-10, I want to get your bold prediction for the American this year. Ooh. Um Bold prediction. Oh, geez. Okay, I will say that I don't think... Hmm. It's a tough one. It is a tough one because there's, there's just... I mean, I if I were to say that any kind of conference was easy for me to really put into an order, <laughs> it would have been the American because I think that it's not necessarily predictable, but... You know, it's clearly defined in tiers. Yeah, and you know that Jaron Cumberland is probably going to be the favorite for player of the year. You know that mm -hmm. James Wiseman's probably going to be the favorite for newcomer of the year, freshman of the year. Um, I'll say this. I think that... I'll go ahead and, I, and I'll say that Houston has the player of the year in the American conference. So it's neither Wiseman nor Cumberland. Okay. I don't know who it's going to be, whether it's Jerome or Grimes, but I think it's going to be somebody. <laughs> I, I have two, both of which are Memphis related. 
Okay. I think Boogie Ellis will end up winning the conference's freshman of the year over Wiseman and over a few of the rest of the teammates. I think he's going to end up being the most important freshman to that team. And I also think Memphis makes the Final Four. I I truly believe and uh, I, I think Hardaway is really is a good coach. I like the assemblance. Um, the talent that he's assembled kind of on that roster and the way they fit into his style of play. And in a year when there's not those really elite teams and the depth and quality at the top, I think we could see them just based on their talent and the way they play getting to the final four. Okay. I mean, I, I, I think we both agree on five bids on the conference. Uh, is that I, fair? I would say I would, I'm leaning more for, um, Okay. Wichita State would probably be in that first seed in the NIT kind of conversation, right. but four or five. I think Wichita State's the one that I'm kind of on the on the fence about. Okay. Yeah. And I, moving to the A10 here, I think the A10 is another one of those conferences that could get more bids than normal and benefit from the the down years that some of the other conferences are having. You look at the top of the conference, VCU ranked 25th in the in the AP poll. Davidson supposed to be really good this season. Dayton's supposed to be really good this season. Uh, the A10 has a lot of depth at the top. Yeah, no, for sure. And and I would argue that, and and the reason why I don't think that St. Mary's gets the tournament bid is is I think VCU and Davidson I would put clearly ahead of St. Mary's in terms of where they rank in the mid-major pecking order. Um, and Dayton's right there, and I think Dayton will benefit more from, from scheduling than St. Mary's will. Um, so I think I think the A-10 probably gets probably – I mean, they have a good five or six teams. You could make an argument for seven that could compete for, for one of those, those uh, first four bids. Um, so. Yeah, I, I, I see – I think a clear, I think I think there's a clear three teams that get in. I, I'm willing to put Davidson in that group. I agree with you on Dayton. Uh, obviously, I'm, I'm extremely high on VCU. I think, uh, as, as I mentioned, could end up being the best major team in the country this year over Gonzaga, over St. Mary's, over Utah State. The way they play defense is incredible. Uh, Mike Rhodes has brought back that havoc system. They were seventh in adjusted defensive efficiency last season, also top ten in three-point percentage and turnover percentage as a defense. They, they don't shoot the ball really well, but they bring everybody back, got some shooting in their freshman class, going to be really good offensively again. Uh, again, uh, a team that plays a difficult style and has reliable upperclassmen, I, I think that this year that's going to make a bigger difference than normal, and I can see them having a big year. Davidson, though, in particular, I think we're going to learn a lot about over the first month of the season, and I think they could end up being a team that end, that's, is stiffing around the top 25, at least by the time we get into January. They open with Auburn on a neutral court on November 8th, and I think they win that game. Oh, I, uh, again, I think they win little, that game by, by at least two, two buckets. Yeah, we talked a little bit about Auburn, uh, the fact we don't necessarily think they're all that good. Um but that could be one where Davidson, I think, raises some eyebrows and starts to get some attention. Later on in November, they play Nevada, Wake Forest. Again, not 
teams that teams aren't supposed to be very good this year, uh, but are big names that that'll get some recognition. November twenty eighth showdown against Marquette on a neutral court. That's going to be interesting. Uh, if they win that, I think you can kind of uh, the hype train around them isn't going to be able to be stopped. But uh, that's what I think I'm interested to see how they do because if, if they get off to that start, uh, if they go five and one or six and zero during those first six games, uh, they play Charlotte and UNC Wilmington as well in there, both of which should be easy wins. I think then we start looking at Davidson as being a real NCAA tournament lock and potential top 25 team, again, depending on how they play against Auburn and Marquette. Yeah, no. And I think that they're, what's holding them back is size um, in the front yep. court. Um, but, they, I mean, they have arguably, I, I wouldn't necessarily make this argument, but arguably the two best offensive options in the A-10 um, in the backcourt. And so – It'll be interesting to, to, to see. I, I I think if they, when they come up against teams with stronger front court play um, and even passable perimeter def- defense and and, and, mm-hmm. and wing defense, um, they'll struggle. But um, when it comes to playing in the A10 and, and playing teams like Auburn and, and some of those other teams, I I think that Davidson is um, probably the better team. Yeah, the, the potential is there at least, right, mm-hmm. for them to kind of kind of go on that run. Um, outside of those three, though, VCU, Dave, Davidson, I know you talked about liking some other teams uh, in there going about seven deep. I don't see a lot that I like that really gets me excited. I think there are some solid teams. Uh, Rhode Island's going to be solid. Um, I can't necessarily <laughs> – I, I should, but I, I still hold St. Louis in something of a high regard after they won the conference tournament last year. Um, there are some teams that will be solid, but nobody that necessarily jumps out as scaring me outside of those top three. Yeah. I, I From an offensive, from a pure point scoring perspective, I really like this Richmond roster. Um, mm-hmm. And I think if Chris Mooney can put it all together, it'll be fun. I don't to think watch. he. I, I. That's my thing with Richmond yeah. though. Is I, I. He hasn't since like 2005. Yeah. <laughs> you know. But 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 from a pure, I mean, his his offense will be fun. Um, yeah. His defenses have never been good, but his offense will be fun. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, you're right. There's, I, like I said, there's there's seven teams that I think could could potentially compete for a tournament spot. I still think the A10 gets three teams in, and that's it. But yeah. you're gonna you're gonna get a lot of a lot of competition from Rhode Island, Richmond, um, St. Bonaventure is always kind of sticking right there. Um, you I might you could see someone like St. Louis or, or Duquesne step up, but um, at the end of the day, I think that it, it, there's such a clear dividing line between VCU, Davidson, and Dayton, and the rest of them. I don't think that the rest of them are going to get enough high-profile wins in conference to to push. If for you it. had, if you had to pick one of those of, of those next four, who would get a tournament bid? Who would you feel most confident in earning a tournament bid? Pro- probably Rhode Island. Yeah, um, I agree. I, I think just just having Doughton and, and Russell um, as experienced guards, um, and and uh, you know that kind of puts it above puts it above for me but i think even then they'd probably have to win the a10 tournament which by the way the a10 has had what like one 
conference regular season champion win the A10 oh, tournament yeah. in the last chaos. decade. So, <laughs> so it's, it's very possible that they get four. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's chaos every year, and it's fantastic. But I mean, it's possible they get four. But but I would say that I still think one of those three probably wins the tournament, even if it's not the champion of the regular season. So we'll we'll mm-hmm. see. Yeah, so three teams in the consensus here. My bold prediction for the A10, I know I've touched on it a little bit, is I think VCU finishes as the best mid-major team in the country, mm-hmm. the highest-rated mid-major. I could see them making a Sweet 16 second weekend run. I think a lot of that depends on kind of who they're matched up with in their region. Uh, but my bold prediction for the A10 is that VCU is going to finish not only as the A10 champ for the second straight year, but as the highest-ranked mid-major team in the country. So my, my bold prediction, along the same uh, same lines, I think that it's Marcus Evans and not Sam Merrill that competes for a third-team All-American kind of nod as the best mid-major yeah. player in the country. He, he was a vital cog for them. When he went out last year or went out and then ended up playing hurt, that was when they lost uh, first round the A-10 tournament and then first round the NCAA tournament. Right. No, and I mean, people are going to look at Obi Toppin from Dayton and then Kelton Grady, John Axel, however you pronounce it, Gunmanson. Gunmanson. John Axel. Um, Because they they might be a little bit less, I mean, they're they're obvious, the star, obviously the stars Mm -hmm. on their teams. Marcus Evans is interesting to me because he's clearly, I think, the, the most important player, the best player on that VCU roster. But I also think he's willing to to defer to to people like Jenkins and Santos Silva and and Van and mm-hmm. and really make sure that team wins. So his stats or at least his scoring might not be on the same level as the other three. Um, but I think that he would probably be my pick preseason if I were to say which mid major makes an All American team. Marcus Evans would be that pick. Well, that, that's another thing I love about this VCU team, and I talked with I talked with Isaac Van about this, and the fact that um, they have so many seniors, they're so experienced, they've kind of gone through their entire college experience together and have gone through some changes just with Will Wade to Mike Rhodes. They are all super unselfish, and they are all very much team above everybody else, and they all love defense. Mm-hmm. It's like they're not going to be a team that cares who scores necessarily. I think they might get into more fights about who gets more steals than who gets right. right, definitely. And, and I'm, I mean, and I'm including Gonzaga in that prediction. I think that mm-hmm. that he gets more votes than Chili and Tilly or, or anyone else on that Gonzaga roster. I, I really do think that he's probably the the. I don't want to say the most important, but I think he'll be the best mid-major player at least from a team that's in the top 25 um yeah obviously there's going to be there's going to be that that random mid-major player somewhere in the country that scores 30 points a night but um from a team that that's in that top 25 a clear at large bid marcus evans is probably going to be the top player i like that yeah all right well that'll do it for us on this episode of the busting brackets podcast next week our last conference preview looking at the big east and then season starts we actually we'll have games to talk about yeah it's gonna be a lot of fun yeah no it's it's two weeks two weeks to to get everything finished all our previews written all the 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 random things that need to happen we'll have we'll have somewhat of a different schedule to 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 start the season we'll have a big mid-major bonanza so if you're 
favorite team is on one of those conferences that we didn't discuss. Um, we, I mean, I know I probably mentioned New Mexico State at least five times in this podcast, but somebody we'll, has a giant crush on New Mexico State. <laughs> um, but but we'll we'll discuss them. So uh, so stay tuned. Big East, best conference in college basketball. We're going to discuss them uh, next week. And uh, bold prediction, I concur. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, see you next time.